Hi everyone and welcome to the author's journey highlighting stories from our community with about local authors. My name is Moni Dujeji and I'm delighted to have with me today a local author and poet Evelyn Voigt. Evelyn, welcome. Thank you. It's Thank lovely you. to have you here. Wonderful way to spend a Saturday morning. <laughs> it sure <laughs> is. Now tell me first, where is that lovely accent of yours from? Well, it's a mixture of East African, German, Canadian, and <laughs> probably a few others thrown in. Yes. <laughs> so, where's uh, where did you actually grow up? Because that's a uh, I keep saying I never grew up, but I grew tall in Tanzania. <laughs> <laughs> you grew tall in Tanzania, and where is Tanzania? I know it's in Africa. Yeah, it's in East Africa. Yeah. And where I was raised was in a tiny little boony area of Tanzania in the highlands, a sort of a lost little wonderful area that I call the center of the universe, other than Canada. Other than Canada, okay. <laughs> Canada comes a very close second. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. And so this was, uh, what was that area called? Is it just a... The area is Mufindi. Mufindi. And basically it was a collection of tea estates, tea and coffee estates. Oh, so you grew up on a tea estate? Tea and coffee. My tea parents coffee. planted tea and coffee, yes. Well, how I'm sure growing up in a place like that must have made your imagination run wild as a child. It's, it's interesting. I think the influences were that we were in a sort of multi-belief system because mm. our friends were the Tanzanians, many of whom practiced um, their own belief system, which was very different in some ways from ours. Do you but mean my like tri tribal beliefs? Well, uh, ethnic beliefs, ethnic. yeah. Okay. And and basically, I don't, we're getting we're getting into an area parallels with Christianity. Okay. Um, they believe in one God who created everything, but their intermediary with God, rather than Jesus for a Christian or Muhammad for a Muslim, their intermediary with God is their their deceased ancestors. Because they believe God is busy creating and their ancestors would best understand their day-to-day -day problems. Oh, how fascinating. <laughs> That's right. So, so on the one hand, I was raised in, in the belief system of spirits and, and, and on the other hand, it was a German household. Yeah. But we were post-war Tanganyika and sent to a British-type boarding school in Tanganyika. And Tanganyika Oh, sorry, is Tanganyika became Tanzania. Right, exactly, okay. So, so it was sort of post-war British, and I was the ex-enemy alien. I was, right, because yeah. you were German. Right, you were German expats who were living in, in Tanzania. Tanzania. Exactly. And so, so after I was, I was born enemy alien number 1098 in well, prison ex camp. Explain <laughs> that to me. Okay. So you, I, I remember reading about that going, oh my God. So you kind of glossed over that. Not everyone is born in a prison camp. So please, can you tell me a little bit about that story? Well, my parents, as I said, were Germans and yeah. they were farming in what was then Tanganyika. Yeah which was a British protectorate. So when war was declared, uh, the Germans were numbered as enemy aliens and sent to internment camp. And they were separated for four years and then together for four years. Okay. 
and in the together four years, I was born in the camp. <laughs> so they didn't allow your parents, they only allowed, I guess, visits? Is that what it was? In the four years? In the four no, years? No, no, they were completely separate. The men were in one, the men were in South Africa. Okay. And the women were in, then sent to Zimbabwe. So I was actually geographically born in Zimbabwe. But the only reason they were there was that Tanganyika didn't have enough prisons. So I was politically born in Tanganyika. My goodness, that's... <laughs> Sorry, I, this is getting really this off track. This is, wow, isn't it? incredible. <laughs> Do you have any memories of being uh, a child in a prison camp? Not at all, not, not at, at all. all. I was two and a half by the okay. time we were released. So yeah. it was a few years after the war. And... Um, no, I don't. I don't remember. And and we weren't raised in a household of gloom and doom and post-war stuff. Okay. Um, my parents just talked about the funny stuff that happened in the camp. You know, sort of. But um, if I may, pay tribute to my mom. Of course. And the women, they decided to make the camp um, as normal as possible for their children because it was women and children under 16 mm -hmm. in one camp. And one day it was mom's turn to take the little kindergarten kids for a walk. Yes. So she led them around the perimeter of the camp, so inside the barbed wire, and they saw a donkey grazing outside. Yeah. One of the little girls burst into tears, and when asked by mom, why are you crying? She said, oh, look at that poor donkey, he's locked up. He's locked up. So they didn't, the kids didn't realize they were locked up, the little ones. Wow. Yeah. That's a huge tribute to your to the to your mother and to all the moms. To all the moms. To, to all, all the, moms. the women. Yeah. 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 This reminds me of that movie. The movie with. Um, oh, I, I know the, the name. one you mean. It is the, is the title escapes me, but it's right. it's about a child the who one, grows up. The in one a, who walked on the chairs at the Oscar to receive that's his the Oscar. That's the, the, the Exactly. It's the same idea. That is amazing. That idea yeah. of. Um, you know, your your mom and your, the moms did whatever they could to make this seem so normal. Yeah. So I guess when you left, it just seemed like it was just a continuation of life, just Absolutely. in a different I setting. Mean, I was too young to know any difference. So. Yeah. And so your yeah. friends were were children who were also expats, or did you have no, friends from no, across everyone? No, we were completely everyone? isolated from expats okay. because we were the only Germans in post-war Tanzania. And so your family decided to stay there. They were one of the few allowed back. Um, it gets complicated, but yeah. um, anti-Nazis were allowed back unless they had tea farms. But the tea farms had been taken over. Right. So if you didn't have a tea farm, a tea estate, yes. and my parents only went into tea later. Okay. They had coffee at the time. So if, if you didn't have tea and you were anti-Nazi, you were allowed back. Okay. They wanted to go back. I mean, they they loved, they loved their place. Yeah, their but home, right? It's that's their right. Home. But know, our children, uh, our children, our our friends yes. were the Tanzanians, the the Tanzanian children, because we yes. didn't actually see any until I went to boarding school. I didn't actually see many white kids. Did you even know that you were uh, white no. with them? No. no eh? I didn't know I was white and I didn't know I was German. <laughs> well, I sort of knew I was German because at Christmas we were very German. It was a very yeah. traditional German Christmas. So that, that, that was German. But the rest of the time we were kind of 
running wild. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I can just imagine you two. And just, yeah. just running around wild with all the all the other kids, just playing like as kids would as kids would do, right? That's right. That's uh, all you do. Yeah, I mean, children, God bless them, don't yes. know the difference, and I hope we all regain our childhood. Yes. And that and in a sense, right? After, well, yeah, not to. I mean, to see the humanity and not yeah. the exterior. So tell me, did you did you do a lot of reading as a child? No. Okay. <laughs> what got you interested in writing then? How did you in begin? Fact, I remember the first story. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't say we didn't. We were read too. Okay. Covered the mic. Sorry. We were read too, and it was all German, German fairy tales. Okay. And my mother always changed the endings because, you know, the Grimm's fairy tales are all rather grim. Yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> so she always changed the, the ending, which really confused us because the drawings showed people being sort of stuffed full of yeah. stones and whatever happened to the wolf and so on. But her story didn't quite mesh what the, what the drawings were saying. <laughs> but. Um, I remember reading The Famous Five. This was in, in, I shouldn't say the first book, but the book that had an impact on me. And I remember going to, this was after boarding school, so it was in English. Okay. And I remember going to my mother and saying, how does, how does the author know what happened to the kids? You know? And how, what's the famous How does five? she know? She's so clever. <laughs> and what's this book oh, about? I, I've never heard sorry, of this book. Sorry, Famous Five is, I don't know what the North American equivalent, it's five kids that that are, uh, that solve mysteries. Okay, like and I guess. Called, what do you have a four, I think? In, um, I guess they would be like the Hardy Boys or the, the Nancy Hardy Drew. Boys, exactly, the Hardy Boys and the Nancy Drew series. Precisely. Oh, okay. And these were, this was the British series. Okay, I get and it. And I was so impressed that the author <laughs> knew how, how they were all operating. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was all so secret. How did she know? How did she know? Yeah. So I want to start the, the conversation a little bit around the book that you have written, which truly is an ode to Tanzania. Why don't you tell me a little bit about flying snakes and green turtles? I mean, let's start first of all with what is the meaning of that title? Because it is a title that is very <laughs> intriguing. So why flying snakes and green turtles? Okay, I'll start with the green turtles. Okay. The green turtles are an endangered species. The couple that I'm writing about, the book is sort of a love story between the couple and a love story between the couple and Tanzania yeah. and all the challenges. One of the challenges is ecological, green turtles are endangered, okay. and one of the many, many, many things that they did, uh, which is an incidental paragraph in the book, is that they rescued, um, they found a way of, of bringing young turtles into the sea uh, without being grabbed for food by people and animals. Okay. And and that's still that project is still going. Okay. It's part of a national reserve now. Um, the flying snakes is an interesting story. There's a very very vicious type of snake, and um, it moves so quickly that it looks like it's flying. Hmm. And um, basically when Jeff and Vicky first arrived at this one place. So Jeff and Vicky are the main, are are the main, main characters, main characters in this right. story, yes. They were warned, they, they, they met the vet. It was a huge estate with their own vet. And they met the vet and he said, how are you, you, know, how are you doing? They said, fine. 
and his, uh, Jeff, who'd lived in Tanzania many years, but not in that part, said, is there anything I should look out for? And the vet said, well, you'll be fine as long as you don't meet the flying snake. And Jeff thought he was pulling his leg. And he was driving the Land Rover through the estate. It was a 10,000 cattle um, estate, That's so it was big, huge. Yes. Where, where the, as soon as they made water holes, um, crocodiles would come into the water holes and, and so on. It was, it was quite a saga. But so Jeff is driving along the road, and as usual, he's got the Land Rover windows down, and he's got his arms sort of outside, and he sees one of these snakes on the road. So he quickly puts up the windshield just in time because the snake basically has flown up against the windshield. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. And are they poisonous? They're, oh, they're very they're poisonous. Deadly. They're deadly. He, highly, highly poisonous. That's right. So, ha Have you ever seen one? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and but, live to tell the tale? No, I guess not. <laughs> but in the, it, they had a book on, he found a book in an old library on mm -hmm. snakes of Africa, and he saw that the antidote to flying snakes villagers were told to, to carry pots of water on their head. And I guess it's so when the snake flies, it flies Head against the, the pot. What a lovely and story. That's right. Oh, my goodness. What a, <laughs> that's incredible. Well, you know, I want to continue talking about this book because it's fascinating with so many incredible stories. We do have to go to break right now. Please stay tuned. We'll be back to continue our conversation with Evelyn Voigt. in 30 seconds, okay. Welcome back, everyone, to The Author's Journey, where we're continuing our conversation with the fascinating Evelyn Voigt about one of her books called Flying Snakes and Green Turtles. 
it's an epic story, truly, um, showing Tanzania um, through so many different stages. And it's really telling the story uh, through the eyes of two individuals. There are people, actually, that one of the, the characters, the main characters, are your parents, specifically, and um, a couple friend that they knew, the Fox family. And I'm curious, as I was reading the book, I was curious to, to understand why you decided to write this from the perspective of individuals who are not from Tanzania, not from the, the perspective of, of the people who actually, I guess, would be native to that area, because it talks about the politics, talks about everyday life, safaris. It really is an epic kind of book. So why did you decide to tell it from that perspective? Well, partly because they say if you're writing, you should write that which you know best. And Indeed. I was raised as an expat in Tanzania, mm. so that perspective is the one I'm most familiar with. Um, I think part of it, part of my motivation was that um, the expat is often portrayed as simply somebody who doesn't really care about the environment they're living in, mm -hmm. that has gone there in an exploitative context. So partly I wanted to, to I think, bring the expat warts and all, uh, not to, <laughs> forgive me, whitewash anything. Yes. Uh. <laughs> but um, at the same time, as I wanted to try and, and um, blur that, that um, myth a little bit of the, you know, the, just the exploiter. Um, I also wanted to blur the myth of Africa as being a continent where everybody is the same, mm. everybody is poor, and yeah. to highlight the, the rich history and the complicated history and the amazing achievements of such a a country that's one of the poorest countries in the world. Mm -hmm. Most of it, not most of it, at least a third of it has now been given over to wildlife sanctuaries. And you have this dilemma between mm. the people that are growing food, need the land for growing food, and the animals that need the land to survive. And here's a country for the sake of the world heritage, really. The animals belong to the world. Mm. Here's a country that's paying a huge price for trying to maintain this. And I wanted, in a sense, to highlight this and perhaps get some sympathy that, that there should be more global support, financial right. support, to help them through it. Because obviously, problems arise between, between the landholders and others. And poachers mm -hmm. take full advantage of it. Sure. Elephants may disappear in our lifetime. Yeah. But I, I appreciate that, you know, in this in this book, you speak specifically about some of these challenges, and they're big challenges. Yeah. Wildlife conservation is one of them, and the fox's role in trying to be part of the solution. That's right. And setting up um, the, the I guess, the, the, the infrastructure to be able to, to do that. And also HIV-AIDS, which uh, I guess is, if we're going to talk about major challenges on the continent, would be that. And I want you to tell me the story of, um, of their work around that and Felicita. One of the the main one of the the stories that uh, okay. that you tell in the book, which is lovely. Well, the Mufindi um, project, Mufindi Orphans Project, or the Fox Foundation, is the family's way of giving back to the community. They've done very well in terms of income from tourism. Mm -hmm. 
They've given a lot, and this is their way of giving to this specific community. I mentioned the center of, sort of second center of the universe, Mofindi. Um, it is within a country that's one of the poorest in Tanzania. It is an area that's one of the poorest in the country mm. and hardest hit by HIV AIDS. In the particular area where they're working, it's almost one in three people have HIV AIDS. At the time that the Foxes started, nobody would talk about it because the only thing they gained by talking about it was social, being ostracized socially. Sure. And there was no, no, nothing, no, no hospital, no. nothing, no treatment. Mm. So um, most people ignored it. And you imagine this little girl who is raised in a mud hut. Um, her father dies slowly. She and her mother have to help him. Her mother dies. This girl is small for her age. She doesn't understand why, but she, she walks to school. It's a very basic school, but all the other children are sort of hostile towards her. And she doesn't understand, but she is sure it has something to do with both her parents dying. And how old is this little girl? At that point, she would have been five, six, seven, eight. In the end, as an eight, nine-year-old, she's nursing her mother mm -hmm. alone. And nursing means walking every day to fetch water. Right. Um, walking for miles, planting the food. If they don't grow it, they don't eat it. Um, her, when her parents have died, she is, is sent to live with her uncle, and she gradually starts feeling sick, and she wonders whether she has the same disease, but nobody will talk to her. Right. So this little girl walks to the nearest place where she can see somebody because she's heard that there's an expat doctor who comes once in a while and so she goes to this place and basically the doctor asks who's the next person in walks this by then she's she's about 11 in walks this child maybe 11 or 12 and the doctor says where's your guardian because usually when people go there they go together because the news can be pretty drastic of course and the little girl says, no, I'm here on my own. She had the courage to face Incredible. what it was. Yeah. The good news is that, that this little girl ends up in the um, orphanage. Well, our friends, the foxes, have set up an orphanage in a village. They've set up an orphan's village that matches what goes on in a normal village with house mothers and so on, okay. so that the children are raised within the culture Yes. and eventually can go back into the community. And only children that have absolutely no relative can come into the orphanage. But with Felicita, they made an exception mm. because of her courage and because she wasn't wanted. She was being neglected. Yeah. She did eventually die. The reason she died was because the foxes had managed to create a um, clinic whereby doctors from a hospital would come but they didn't have the space for all the files and Felicita's files got sort of mixed up. Oh dear. She didn't get sent to the right place for treatment. But as a result of Felicita's death, and Felicita lived a beautiful life at the end because for the first time she had, she had friends Family. around her who understood. Sure. They were all going through the same thing. Sure. And um, there were a couple of Canadian women who were there 
who were very close to the, were in fact supporting the project, and became very fond of Felicita and were devastated by her death. So when Felicita died, they in fact financed the um, ability of the local clinic hospital yeah. to test for HIV AIDS. And in an environment where people wouldn't even admit they had HIV AIDS, there's now hope, they yes. admit it. 4,000 people have been treated. So multiply that by the children and family. Um, a catchment area of 40,000 people have access to, to this. Yeah. And um, one of the women who would many years ago never admitted to having AIDS, basically, she, well, she was HIV positive. She found out that her husband had AIDS. She, she got him to take treatment. Mm -hmm. She herself took treatment. And a few years later, raised her child in front of the crowd. This, this non-literate woman, who would never say boo, spoke to a crowd of about 300 people, said, I am HIV positive, raised her fat little baby above <laughs> her head and yeah. said to everybody, look, you too can have a healthy, you too can be HIV because positive and have a healthy child. What an incredible if you have story! Treatment. So that's what the Fox have, have achieved, and yeah. and they've they've helped with classrooms and set up clinics, and a lot of it in conjunction with the authorities, so that you know with the clinic there is somebody paid by the government who will yes. continue the work. It's not just dependent yeah. on the foxes. That's incredible. I mean, this is, uh, it's a marvelous book. I mean, as I say, I've read the yeah. book and it, there's so many incredible stories. There's, there's a love story, there's the adventure, there's the safari, there's the everyday life. And then there is the incredible work that the foxes are doing to actually give back to, to this community and their work goes on. And so that's, that's beautiful. So I, and you know, their I, parenting. And the, yeah. Like yes. finding out that the baby had fallen out of the car when the car overtook yes. <laughs> them and said, is that your baby that your on the road? road. <laughs> That's so funny. There's so many moments. There are so many moments, you know, facing a lion. There is just so many incredible stories. So this is definitely a book that you won't be able to put down in so many ways. And educational in its own way, you know, talking about yeah, Tanzania. Uh, just a, a warning. Some people find that it's difficult to get into because there are yes. a lot of foreign names. That's right. So to any potential reader, <laughs> ignore all the names. Yes. Just but there's, there's skip a lot over there. that and get to the family story. Get to the stories, because the stories really are fabulous. You know, if you can believe this, we're, we're down to under two minutes. Oh. And there's so many things that we can, we can be talking about. I do want to, to ask you about... Um, you're, you're also a poet. I mean, aside from being this accomplished author, you're also a poet and a spoken word poet. How did you make that transition? Well, I've written all, all my life, but I, I never used to show anybody, uh, you know, like many of us. Like many authors, That's yes. That's right. And I was taking a workshop on the artist's way, mm -hmm. had to do a, an assignment. The facilitator was a musician, singer-songwriter, and I read, we were supposed to write on a color, and I'd written this piece on blue. So as I read the piece on blue, she picked up my husband's guitar, which happened to be near okay. her, started playing it and said, I'll be performing in a few weeks. Would you mind if we performed this piece together? Which I thought was a great idea at the time <laughs> and increasingly a terrible <laughs> idea. But once I had the microphone in my hand, 
don't take this away from me. <laughs> well, you're a storyteller, clearly, a natural storyteller that, uh, you know, your poetry is also very beautiful, and so is, you know, obviously the, the book reflects all of the love that you've also poured. Never too much butter. Never too much butter. Hey? Well, I love that expression, but it's true. There's a lot of wonderful things uh, to explore for readers, and I hope they, they do get a chance to, to find out about this uh, wonderful little corner of the world, your little piece of heaven on earth, the center of the world, besides Canada. Um, I want to thank you so much. I mean, there is so much more that we can keep talking about, but our time has run up this time. So okay. I hope to have you again, perhaps another day. In the meantime, I want to thank you all for tuning in to today's episode of The Author's Journey, and I hope you tune in once again. Thanks for now. <laughs>